Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey, this is the National Treasure, Nick Aldis, and I am recommending that you go to savewithconrad.com for all your home buying needs. Not only would I recommend Save With Conrad to friends and co-workers, I have many times already. If I know that they're house hunting, my first recommendation to them always is get in touch with Conrad. His team are the real deal and they will they will be straight up with you and, and do everything they can to, to get you in the house. NMLS number 65084 Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! At SaveWithConrad.com Welcome to Something to Wrestle With. Brett's Bridget. Bridget. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib? No, yeah, but there's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. And was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared. Fuck him. You, Bruce. Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Silva's already put me in a bad mood. Oh, gosh. We just got started. How are you already in a bad mood? Already in a bad mood. Uh, the whole trip here to get to this point. Are you in a bad <sighs> mood now? What's wrong now? Silva. Yeah. He's ruined you know, your life. He's you ru- know. He's ruined don't many lives. Don't like you don't. No, I know. I mean, I, I know for certain you're at least the second person whose life is ruined. At least the second. Yeah. Yeah. I'm well aware. Well, boys and girls, we're hoping to uh, turn that frown upside down on old Brucey because we're doing something different today. Of course, a couple of days ago, you got Revenge of the Taker, and now we're back. So glad that we found Bruce. And today we're going to do what he calls Ask Me Questions and Shit. So we jump right into it. Instagram, a wrestling historian says Ahmed Johnson won an 11 man battle Royal to become the number one contender for the WWF championship. 
Where were you going with that before he got injured? A match against Shawn Michaels? Thanks in advance. Yeah. So you would have tried you know, babyface I mean, versus babyface again? Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, we, we actually were looking at Ahmed, uh, possibly to be the champion. Right. Frankly. So, um, you know, in that regard, yeah, try it out, man. Let's see if it can hang. And I think that there was enough, there was enough there that we definitely could have pulled that off. Talk to me about it. You know, when, whenever somebody hears, oh, we were talking about making Ahmed the champion. I'm sure a lot of people would say, where were his great matches? He wasn't that good of a wrestler, blah, blah, blah. That oftentimes doesn't have anything to do with quote unquote drawing money. And Ahmed did have some sort of charisma. He had a great, yeah, he did. what was, what was it for him? Could you put your finger on that? Yeah, it was an animal magnetism, man. It was just, it was raw and it was, it was genuine, you know, say what you want to about Ahmed and his, his talent in the ring. Ahmed was believable. The audience believed in him and looked at him as, you know, this guy's real and you know, his shit was real, right. <laughs> it fucking hurt. but you know, um, that sticks out, you know, he was different than everybody else and carried himself in a very confident way that the audience just naturally gravitated to some guys, you know, just, okay. I do pretty moves. I do all kinds of spots and, and hip hoppity bullshit. No, man, Ahmed went out there and when Ahmed hit you, it looked like he hurt you because probably did. Right. But it was, it was believable. It was, man, you, you looked at that guy and he was impressive and went, holy shit. So Ahmed had it. When we think about Ahmed, you know, we know that you guys really tried him as a baby face, very briefly tried him as a heel. It didn't work. Do you think it was just a matter of timing for him? Do you think he could have been a strong heel? I could see that. I think that, you know, Ahmed was probably the number one person holding Ahmed back. Mm. You know, it, it, it got to the point to where there are a lot of guys when they taste success, feel cheated. Well, I should have gotten it earlier and I should have it forever. Um, and some guys can't handle the spotlight. There's a lot of times you will put somebody in a position where, okay, now we need you to do X, Y, Z. Right. Oh, before that, we need you to do STUVW. Um, oh, well, I don't want to do that. I just want to do ABC. I don't want to get all the way through the alphabet of shit to do. Um, and, you know, Ahmed outworked himself in a lot of ways in, in that respect, in that he believed the hype, and there was a lot of hype there to believe. But at some point, you have to deliver, and it, and it takes more it takes more than just having charisma and that's where it ends. You also have to have a business acumen and you have to be able to deal with people and have a work ethic. Sometimes when I'm talking to Jeff Jarrett, we'll talk about his time in TNA and uh, we'll bring up a name like Monty Brown and he'll always say, man, that was the one that got away. What could have been because I made Johnson, one of your, what could have been type guys. Cause it does feel like. He had some unrealized potential. He did. He, he really did. And I think that Ahmed, um, if his head was on right, would have been a mega star, much bigger than he ever was. I think that, again, Ahmed could have been the champion. He could have been the guy. Um, it just, you know, he would he would get carried away with things and just 
think he was bigger than he was at that time. Now, he could have been all of that. But, um, you know, just didn't happen. And, and I think that he got caught up in, well, I want to be perceived this way. Do you think Warrior come in affected that? Because, you know, he would have been able to spend a little bit of time with Warrior during the Warrior return. And Warrior certainly had his own different kind of way of handling business. Do you think Ahmed maybe learned some from that? I don't know. I don't know that they were around long each other long enough, you know, but again, you go back and look at warrior in the day when warrior was the man, you know, he did do all that shit, right? He did make all the appearances. He did go and do every single thing that was asked of him. You know, it was only later on that he kind of got to that point where, okay, I'm, I'm warrior. I'm above it. Drew Landry has a great question for us. He says, Bruce, were you around back when Shawn Michaels and triple H had a falling out in 2001? What do you remember? And what was said? I know you weren't there probably for this specific conversation, but I think the gist was Sean was uh, sort of playing hokey pokey with the WWE. He was in for a stint here. And as the story goes, maybe he wasn't, uh, really ready to perform. And as I understand it, maybe. Hunter agreed with uh, the powers that be, and maybe Sean felt betrayed by that. That's at least the story that's out there. Have you heard that narrative before? No. Okay. I mean, not that there was a major falling out or that he felt betrayed. I think that it was kind of an eye-opening experience in some respects. But you remember the circumstance, just not the perception. I, you know, look, man, it, it was it was one of those situations where, you know, Sean was, you know, not in a good place and in before he left. And I don't remember Sean, I don't remember it being in 2001 for sure. I think that by 2001 they were good. Okay. Um before that, you know, but again my timeline could be off, but you know, Sean was gone for a, a, a long little time. while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ryback's they, they were always friends. Ryback's only friend says stone cold versus big show was the original main event for WrestleMania 2000 true or false. False. You know, that's one that I definitely thought we should have gone with, you know, from big shows debut. Right. I thought that was logical. Um, but I don't think that, that Vince really ever saw that. And you know, that you had Russo involved in all of that. I thought that that was the logical way to go, but that was not, that wasn't in the cards. Russo was going by then just as a heads up, this would have been April of 2000. The main event was triple H with Stephanie. But it was, it was after it was after the cage match, right? Yes. This is the, this is the following year. Actually. Okay. This is the one where they did a, uh, a fatal four way with a McMahon in every corner. Yeah. So it was triple H rock big show and Foley. This is of course the WrestleMania after stone cold goes down. Yeah. A lot of confusion. Yeah. Uh, Ari wants to know you, the Duke of Dorchester my new boss, and oh, Mike McGurk right. yeah. doing the, uh, commentary for the WF Houston shows after Bosch retired, who came up with the idea and how bad was it working with commentators who never did commentary before? How about them having to work with the play-by-play guy that had never done play-by-play before. Right. Um, so Vince and I had flown to Houston to make a deal with KHTV channel 39, the local affiliate there in Houston. And on the plane trip home, Vince turned and looked at me and goes, um, 
You've worked as a talent, haven't you? I said, sir. And again, I, I always, I viewed what I did. Okay. So for example, writing the shows, putting the shows together. That's what a producer does. Right. All right. Well, I would never call myself a producer because I just put the shows together. And I never saw myself as a talent. You know, I, I just, you know, I did what I did. And I said, no, sir. He goes, uh, you've, you've done on camera work. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've done interviews. I've done a little color commentary, things like that. And he says, okay, so you, you've worked as talent. I said, well, okay, I guess. And he said, because you've done play-by-play. I said, no, I've never done play-by-play. He goes, ah, which could. <laughs> like, I guess I could do anything, but I had never done play-by-play. I certainly hadn't done, you know, I had, obviously I hadn't done any play-by-play, but I certainly wasn't into the, the time, the WWE commentary mode. You know, I, I was, that was still kind of new to me. So you were doing uh, wrestling rather than WWE. Well, you know, you go back and you listen to the the monsoon and Vince of that time. All they did was tell stories, right? They they didn't call what moves. was happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, you go back and listen to Paul Bosch, and Paul Bosch told slow stories. You know, Jim Ross was fast. Well, it's a double triple goddamn double, double drop kick quite far as referring to saving such spaces, and would wear you out with the knowledge of calling, you know, it's TV. I can see what's happening. You know, Jim would do radio. radio. Yeah. Okay. And I, I've that on that. I've always been like, is an audience member. I'm watching the TV show. You don't have to tell me every single thing that's going on. Right. Tell me a story. Tell me about why it's going on. What, what are the ramifications of what's going to happen in this match? So, um, I'm like, yeah, I guess I can learn. So I did play-by-play with Nick Bockwinkle, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, uh, Alfred Hayes. Uh, these are a few of my partners that, that I did it, trying to learn, trying to, to get ready. But the first time that I did it was August 28th, 1987. That was Paul Bosch's retirement show. And Vince says, I'm going to have you be the new host of Houston wrestling and you will be the host. You will do the play by play. You will do the interviews. You'll do the whole thing, but it's okay. Cause I'm going to give you some help. And I'm like, Oh God, thank you. You're going to give me Bobby Heenan or you're going to give me gorilla or Jesse or somebody. And he says, you know, Mike McGurk. Oh God. And I'm like, Mike is in Leroy's daughter, Mike. Says, uh, yeah. I said, sure. I know Mike. And he says, well, she's one. And um, have her like do an analyst role. And uh, you've heard of uh, the Duke of Dorchester. My goodness. I I don't. I don't know who that is. He goes, Pete Doherty. Yeah, don't know who that is. I says, well, he's going to help you out with color. Now, They've never done it before. Oh. <laughs> so I'm going to need you to direct traffic in there. My goodness. So he's putting a guy in there that has never done play by play before. Right. 
in his hometown, replacing the guy that broke him into the business. Right. I'm nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Or a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Get it right. And I've got Mike and Pete. Great people, man. Just like you couldn't have asked to be in the foxhole with much better human beings. Right. But they were the shits. And they were led by the drizzling shits in me. We sucked. I was terrible. I, I, I was terrible. I, I tried to do, I tried to do Vince. Oh my, what a maneuver. Take a look at that, Mike. Uh, that, that kind of shit. And that wasn't me. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't good at it. I just was not good at it. And I tried to find, you know, then I tried to find that happy medium of, of, uh, uh, double arm play. Uh, I have another vodka with a splash. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Splash of air. Um, Try to do my Gordon Sully. That was a very bad Gordon Sully. I know, but that's my Gordon Sully. Suplay, we got it. We we knew yeah. exactly where you were going with Suplay. Uh, and, you know, I tried to be across of, of all of them. And it just wasn't that good, man. Let's do another one here. Charlie Thrower wants to know with Mania being... Actually, it wasn't Philly, even not that good. It was rotten. Had to improve a fair bit to be. Yeah, it would have to improve a lot just to suck. Uh, Charlie Thrower wants to know with Mania being in Philly next year, Mr. Pritchard, I would love to know some of your favorite moments during your time in the city of brotherly love over your career. Um, probably where did we go? Rouse. Oh yeah. That a great Italian restaurant. Yeah. Going yeah. Uh, with Tim Sabian, uh, to Ralph's little Italian spot in little Italy there. Fantastic. Uh, some of the 
greatest food I've ever had. And Conrad and I went, then we took, um, the guy from Seinfeld. Oh Remember? yeah, that was nice. Uh, that's gold, Jerry. That's gold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what the hell? Yeah. What the hell was his name? Banyan. Yes. But what was oh, it? Kenny real? Banyan, when but the, the real guy, not actually Kenny Banyan. Um, and we had so much fun. We drank a lot of wine and ate a lot of food and that was one of my best times. But, um, I actually, I enjoy Philly. I love always, I, you know, I'm a total tourist in that, uh, I would like to, all my stuff's going to be about food folks. Um, shout out to I Steve like, Heitner. That was his name. Kenny. Yes. yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful human being. It was like, we met him that day and by the end of the night, we were best friends. It was fun to see. Yeah. And it was like, you know, oh, you were busting my balls. It's like, you guys are like brothers and best friends. Like you've known each other for your whole life. We were hugging. Um, it was like, there was, there was that amount of alcohol where hugging <laughs> was involved. Yeah. But he was, I mean, he was hilarious and, and, and very uh, huggable. Yeah. And very huggable. Yes. Yeah. And I'm huggable. You are. I'm a very huggable guy. So, but, uh, I, I like to go to Pat and Gino's and get one from each, what but if, I've stopped that because now I just go to Pat's. Wait, wait, wait. Um, no Tony Luke's anymore. No, uh, um, John's roast pork. No, no. I, I, I mean, I'll get, I guess Ed gets them from, uh, John's, but I just like to go to the touristy place yeah. and get the sloppy. I like it from Pat's with the whiz. Is that what they cuss at you too? Chop- yeah. Yeah. You don't order that shit right, man. Fuck you. Yes. Get off. I need whiz wit. Yeah. That's all I got to remember, man. Whiz wit. Yeah, there you go. Wit so, onions uh, is what we're talking about. Wit onions. Yeah, they know. Guys from Philly, he knows. Um, but yeah, that I love. I love my Philadelphia food. I think that Philadelphia has some of the greatest food in the world. And there's a Peking duck place there. It's good in Chinatown that is beyond amazing. Uh, Adam Arpin says, uh, during the invasion angle, you were able to bring in WCW's top heels. Would you have still felt you owed it to Austin to allow him the heel turn? Or would you have tried to sell Steve on programs with a Kevin Nash, Randy Savage, big Papa pump, et cetera. That's interesting. If you knew you were getting the WCW crop of things, cause as the story goes, Austin took a look at the heel side and thought, man, I don't know that I got a ton to work with. Maybe it was time to try something different. That made sense. But if you got all the WCW cats, would you have done that? Um, so like what, what heels would we have had that just, if you had that new crop of of fresh opponents, like would WrestleMania 17 have gone down the same way? If when you closed on that deal, you also got all that talent and they could have showed up on that same show. Guaranteed that WrestleMania would have gone. That, that was, that was part of the deal as, as far as. From our side, we had no desire whatsoever to bring them in and do anything for WrestleMania. WrestleMania was set. I got you. And it was such a great story with Steven Rock and just all across the board. WrestleMania was set and trying to do anything with the WCW guys would have ruined it. Well, thankfully you didn't ruin it. You just turned him heel and ruined it. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> Brian, listen, uh, what big event in wrestling history do you wish you could have attended live or been a part of? That's a great question. Yeah, man. What a moment. WrestleMania three without a doubt. I would would love to have been there. Would you have loved to worked it or just been a fan and been in the room when it happened? I would love to have worked it. Yeah. You know, the, the other one, and here's a crazy story for you, man. Uh, Cleet dumpster 
who was a ring announcer, and he was also the uh, morning sports guy on 93Q, which was like the uh, pop station in Houston back in the day. And Cleet was a ring announcer. Uh, but it was with John Landis and Mr. Leonard and, you know, they were syndicated all over the country and, and Cleet calls me the Friday, the Thursday or Friday before WrestleMania one in New York and says, Hey, I've got two tickets. I'm going to New York. You want to go? I'm like, you got airline tickets? He goes, man, got, uh, flights for like $75 or something like that round trip from LaGuardia. And I'm thinking, Hmm. Yeah, I want to go. But the kicker was I couldn't get back in time to open up the office on Monday morning. And the people that I worked for at the time were not going to bend on letting me, not open the office first thing on Monday morning, especially the fact that I was going to that damn New York show. That that wrestling mania crap. So I would have liked to have I would like to have been to the first one and WrestleMania three. I think uh, would have been some pretty cool shit to do. J.M. Wagner says, we know the Pontiac Silverdome at WrestleMania three had 93,173 folks in attendance, but just and if I would have been there, it would have been 174, but just six months later, 93,682 were there to see Pope John Paul II. What was Vince's reaction to the Pope breaking his record? And was this the start of Vince's feud with God? Let me explain something to you. The Pope, those guys. They work those numbers. Oh God. I love you so much. This is, this is the happiest you've made me on this show in a long time. What? Cause everybody says you work the numbers and now oh, you're saying, God, please. And I have time to, but the Pope, Pope that's he, all the Pope. That's all he does, man. And, uh, and, okay. What scam can we do today? Oh, uh, shut up. Don't say that oh, now. Come on now. What? I mean, brother love was a scam. The what they do. Who is they, you know? You know, uh, Billy gun fact says in previous, have you seen the Pope's exorcist. No, I have not. You should see it. It's, it, it actually, did you, did you see the exorcist? Yes. The original? Yes. How old were you when you saw the exorcist? Uh, 14. Okay. 13. Maybe <laughs> I was, I think I was like 12 when it first came out, but okay. regardless, um, and I saw it, and, and then I saw the uh, what? It, what do they call it? the enhanced deal? Uh, director's in, cut. Like, it wasn't the director's cut. It was enhanced, and they like put faces in the walls and things like that. And Mitty and I went and saw it, and we might have inhaled a few things before we went in. And that was the scariest movie I'd ever seen in my life. But I'd read the story about the Pope's Exorcist, and but the movie's nothing like the story. But it was still a good, um, a good exorcism movie. Well, even though the, the Pope denies that there actually were exorcists. Billy Gunn fact says in previous episodes, Bruce has said that the singles push of Billy Gunn failed due to his asthma. Would he also agree that making the King of the Ring victory an afterthought, jobbing him out to Bradshaw the next night, and having The Rock be unprofessional was also an aspect? Boy, it turns out we just found Billy Gunn's super fan. 
Well, yeah, aspect of what? Uh, I think the part that, you know, he didn't do more, maybe. Yeah, well, you know, I have this theory that there are some guys that when they break into the business and they start out in a tag team, very few come out of it as singles, single stars. And don't tell me Shawn Michaels because Shawn was a single long before he was a rocker. Okay. Ricky Morton was a single long before he was a rocker. So was Brett, I think. So was Brett. Yeah. But if you start as a, you know, it's, it's just hard. It's, it's a different thing. And Billy did have asthma and Billy couldn't go. Billy couldn't go for a, a long period of time in a match and in a tag team, man, shit. I think he and road dog were one of the greatest tag teams of all time. There's no doubt. As far as drawing money, yeah. they're going to be right up there, right? Draw money and working. Cause yeah. Billy could come in in spurts. Yes. I love you made sure that you put over Billy there. Uh, Carl Hayes says, I like Billy. I think Billy's awesome. Yeah. The other thing, Billy is probably one of the, the most deceptive yes. big men in wrestling in history. The world. Just, yes. Yeah. You, you look at him and you go, ah, he's a big guy. Go stand next to Billy Gunn. Man. He's Hulk he Hogan size. Huge. Yeah. He's huge. And you know, I've never seen him out of shape. Right. Asshole. Well, you probably won't. Uh, Carl Hayes says, Hey Bruce, taking any concerts this summer? Hey Carl, I uh, sure do want to see Aerosmith before they fade off into the sunset. Um, but I had Conrad was, uh, at my party, my 60th birthday party in which we had, uh, Brian Kirk and the jerks. And I will pretty much, you know, drive anywhere within a two hour radius to see Brian Kirk and the jerks. And if you ever get a chance, go see them. They're excellent, but probably going to, uh, want to do journey and want to do, um, what's the other one queen with Adam Lambert. So journey queen and Aerosmith are next on the list. What, uh, hypothetically, if you were going to go get tickets for those, you think game time would be the way to go. I'm not going to wait to the last minute. I'm going to go way ahead of time and go to game time. Yes. Well, I'll tell you this, even if they're coming to your town and you didn't realize it, no, no need to stress game time can hook you up even the same day of the event, not just for concerts, but you can do comedy or sports or theater. Literally it's the best place to buy tickets. And for a few reasons, number one, they eliminate the guesswork. We've all seen a seat map before and wondered, Hey, that looks like a good seat, but is it? You get image views, like you get seat views of where it would look like from that seat. Come on. How do you beat that? It all happens on the game time app. And maybe my favorite thing is the way they provide peace of mind. It's called the low price guarantee. The game time guarantee. It means you always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less money, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. How do you beat that? It's just two taps and boom, the tickets are on your phone. Doesn't get any easier than that. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Just download the game time app, create an account and use the code wrestle for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again, create an account and redeem code wrestle for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Let's do uh, Anthony's question here. I have heard Bruce mention Jim Barnett a few times, but what was his role and what stories can you tell us about him? So Jim Barnett was a promoter 
as wrestling promoter. Jim was from the Chicago area and Jim was promoter in Chicago. And then he became very powerful in the NWA. Jim was, um, a, I wouldn't say he was closeted homosexual. Jim was very out with his gayness. Jim had a, a, a life partner, but Jim also was very flamboyant and, and didn't, you know, didn't care back in the day when that wasn't as accepted as it is today. So, you know, Jim went from Chicago. He went to Australia. He opened up Australia. Jim as a promoter was one of the just smartest guys I've ever met because he was so innovative in the way that Jim used television. Jim learned very early on to utilize television as a commercial to promote your live events. And if you had good television, you had strong television, then your live events would thrive. So Jim went to Australia, same thing. You know, at the time, Australia was probably 15 years behind the United States in innovation. Jim went to Australia, opened up Australia as a promoter and television was doing the same things that he had done in the United States and just popped the territory huge. And Jim ran Australia, ran New Zealand, but he still kept a, a hold on and, and a, an arm's length with, with the NWA. Then Jim came back to the States. Jim went to uh, Atlanta and I'm probably missing a whole lot. I'm just giving you a big broad brush strokes of, of Jimsy. And Jim went to Atlanta, became one of the most powerful men in the entire wrestling business uh, as a promoter, but also as a member of the NWA, he was on the board and, you know, Jim, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash westwood1. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash westwood1 now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash westwood1 did that WTBS Superstation. So Jim was the first one really to take wrestling national on cable TV on channel 17 uh, WTBS. So Jim was extremely powerful, man. And Jim was uh, a part of the group that sold 
their shares in Georgia Championship Wrestling to Vince McMahon so that Vince would become majority owner of Georgia Championship Wrestling and get on WTBS. And that's where people refer to as Black Saturday when the WWE took over the WTBS uh, 605 time slot away from the NWA. And, you know, Jim Barnett threatened to kill him. But then, you know, Vince brought Jim into the WWE as a consultant. And Jim was business affairs uh, vice president for the NWA. I mean, not for the NWA, for WWE. And in 1987, uh, when I started up there, I actually lived in the same uh, condominium complex as Jim, literally right across the courtyard from him. And Jim uh, attempted suicide like the third day that I was there. And Jim would always lament to Vince that, uh, you know, I want to go home. I want to go back to Atlanta. I want to, uh, I want to help Crockett. I want to do this. And this kind of guy, you know, if you tell him that stuff, he's okay. Well, you're unhappy here. Go. I think Jim was just kind of crying for attention, but um, Vince let him go. And Jim went down and worked for Crockett. He worked for Turner for a while with WCW. And in in later years, uh, I would call Jim, you know, right up until the time that Jim passed, I would call Jim every single week and get his feedback and input on the television shows. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you didn't like. Um, what, you know, what would you do? And Jim had a different perspective on the business and the fact that he was outside of the business by this point in his life, I thought that his insight was even more valuable and innovative so far ahead of his time. And yeah, Jim Barnett was a megastar of this business. Can you give us an example of one of the things you learned? You said, I learned so much from that man. Is there one specific example where you can remember he improved something or at least changed your mind about something? John Cena. First time he saw John Cena, he said that he goes, he's a star. He's the guy. And, you know, I, it was very early on when John had just started. We were scratching our heads trying to figure out what to do with John. He had something, you know, he had it but not really knowing what to do. Right. And Jim was like, goes, that's your next guy. He will be the guy. And I'm like, ah, yeah, you know, Jim, I, I, I get it, man. He's got all the tools and everything. But right now I think he's a little green. He says, get behind him. You know, he, he's the guy. And he was right. Why? You know, he, he saw it before any of us saw it. Why do you there were think? little things, you know, like Tommy Rich, you know, people didn't get Tommy Rich. He, he had no body yet, but the son of a bitch had charisma. Yeah. And Jim saw that Jim looked at Tommy Rich and says, you know what? He draws the girls. He draws the women where the, where the women are, the men are going to come. And you have an audience now. Right. And if you have a good looking, you know, young guy that draws, Good looking young women, you're going to draw other young people and your audience is going to swell and it's going to grow from there. Why do you think whenever people talk about 
Cause like whenever people talk about Pat Patterson, I feel like he gets his flowers. People refer to him as like wrestling's Yoda. Like he's one of the all time great minds of wrestling, but it feels like whenever we talk about Barnett, a lot of times people just go to the impression or they talk about a sexuality. Whereas that's not always the case for a guy like Pat. What's the difference between the two, as far as the way they're revered, you know, after the fact, Pat had a different type of mind. Pat had a, had a mind for the creative in the business. Uh, in the ring, Barnett had a mind for the business end of things. So I, I would say that other than Barnett never being a performer, Jim Barnett's acumen and mind was just as great as Pat's. And the reason I think that, you know, people bring up the sexuality is because to, you gotta, you gotta understand folks, any, anybody listening to this is like 20, 30 years old. You got to go back 60 years, 70 years. There wasn't acceptance of people for who they were. Right. If you were different, man, you were different. You were ostracized. And Jim was outward with his sexuality, who he was, and was extremely successful didn't slow in down. spite of it all in, in a, in a business where, you know, it was run by big tough guys and, you know, oh, I'm a former football player. I'm this tough guy. I'll do this. Blah, blah, blah. And Barnett kept him in line because he was a businessman. Right. And he was brilliant. So all that stuff. And the reason you bring that up is because of the success that he had when there was so much against him. Right. And he fought through it and he proved himself because he was that good. Well said, Bruce. So glad we gave him some attention today. Um, Brandon wants to know hypothetically, if Jim Cornette was managing Roman Reigns instead of Paul Heyman, what would his promo sound like? What the fuck? He's my fucking tribal chief, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, Beef wants to know, give us the story on the toxic turtles. Whose idea was it? Who was under the mask? How long did they last? Oh. <laughs> toxic turtles were Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. Um, Great guys. They were enhancement talent that, man, you could set your watch by them. Very dependable. Um, they did this gimmick, you know, on the independence, if you will, back then, and came to us one time and said, Hey, we'd like to show you this gimmick. And said, Okay, let's take a look at it. And they were the Toxic Turtles, and they went out and had their match. And we decided that, yeah, a little too close to the old teenage mutant ninja turtles, man, that they would come after us for sure. So they had they had their one match uh, the one time. I think there's a tape of it floating out there somewhere. Yep. But uh, that was it. Mr. Murphy wants to know which is easier: writing the syndicated shows or weekly shows? Did you get an idea produced for syndicated show that maybe you had forgot had been put forward and greenlit, only to finding out after you'd seen the show? So we should. Add some context to that. Once upon a time, the syndicated shows will be taped several weeks in advance. And I'm sure there's a lot of moving parts and, you know, we're just on to the next show. Would that ever become an issue? The continuity of, oh yeah, we, 
did this for still TV six weeks from now, or is that not really an issue? No. I mean, we wrote, so like the, the sheets that we used to have in, um, fuck WCW for stealing my sheets. Um, but how'd they steal had, your sheets? I'm going to get to that. Okay. Sorry. We had really long sheets about yay, yay big. And they had three, they had lines, three different shows across them. We did TV for three weeks at a time in one night. So you would write your shows three weeks across and you knew what was on this week or was on this in the middle and on the third week. And then you'd write superstars first and you'd write wrestling challenge. And then I did spotlight and prime time and all that other stuff. But you knew, I mean, there was never an issue. You knew um, exactly what was represented every week, what was omitted every week, where you were going and, and basically where you had been every week. It wasn't that difficult at all. There was no, um, usually there was never any overlap. If, if we'd had to do an odd taping or something, sometimes there might've been a week overlap, but it, you knew what you had done and, and what you needed to do. So I, my sheets were like the Bible. My sheets were neat. <laughs> you could actually read my sheets and I, mine were the final, final sheets. Everybody went off of mine. So I kept those uh, painstakingly uh, for years. And I had them all stacked up week by week, you know, year by year. And in the lawsuit, WCW, when they sued us, after we had sued them and the whole Nitro and all that crap, they subpoenaed all of our, uh, all of our notes, everything. Well, since my notes were basically the Bible, they came in and got my notes. I said, man, I don't want to give you these. I said, they're my notes. Um, they're my shows. They're mine. <laughs> and I said, well, you got to give them up. And I said, okay, I'll give them. I said, but can you guys just make copies of them and bring them back? Yes, we will. Never got them back. That's Never got him back. And I blame Eric Bischoff. You should. I think I think that Eric stole him. Personally. So Personally. Yeah, I agree. But you know what? When we got their sheets, I didn't give theirs back. So fuck them. Uh, Horror Movie Barbecue says, ignoring the video game dispute, what was the silliest argument Bruce ever saw Vince and Jesse get into? Um, man, I don't know that they really ever, not in front of me. I mean, I'm sure they did, but not in front of me. You know, it was Jesse, hard to believe, you know, Jesse is, is a little different in Jesse's thinking. Right. And, um, Jesse didn't mind expressing his thoughts. I used to crack up Kerwin Silfies, who was our director would get in these deep philosophical conversations with Jesse. And, you know, as I've, I've said plenty of times, you know, it was Jesse's idea to, to burn the flag with general Adnan and, and Sarge. Right. Cause it had become legal and Jesse was just so pro um, America that, you know, he, he fought, you know, he was a Navy seal. And he fought for our freedoms and felt that if that's a freedom, 
then people that want to exercise it should be able to exercise it. I don't particularly agree with that. My dad, you know, was 23 years in the army. I just had a different belief system. But for a heat thing, you know, I tried it on and um, tried to be objective about it. But that's where that idea came from, was from Jesse. So, you know, Jesse, man, smart guy, very smart guy. I, look, I always got along with Jesse. I like Jesse. But uh, I could see where people, <laughs> you know, could go, oh, boy. But I never, I never really, not that I can remember that they'd gotten any heated arguments ever. I used to get in heated arguments with Barry's, um, well, I, 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 with Barry Bloom was Jesse's agent. Um, I got in arguments with Jesse and, and Barry over, you know, come on, man, I'm dealing with Jesse. I shouldn't have to deal with you. I'm, I, you know, Jesse's a talent. He's who I got to deal with. I'm not going to deal with you on creative. So I shouldn't have to deal with you on everything else. I lost that one. But um, that was my first experience with an agent. Barry so, Bloom, all these years Barry later. Bloom. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Cherry wants to know in the 80s, did wrestlers have a practice ring somewhere if they wanted to go over stuff? Macho and Steamboat come to mind because nope. Kayfabe seems it would have kept them from doing it in an arena. So where would they test things out? In the ring, in your match. Now there were you didn't do shit you couldn't do. If you want to try something, you try it in your match. That being said, matches we have heard matches like the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan, they would bring a match to a ring down for WrestleMania and have Pat Patterson help them go through it and all that jazz. No, no, they went to the ring in uh, in Tampa that was set up there. It was uh, I want to say that that might have been at the old Armory. I could be wrong on that, but uh, yeah, we had a ring down there. So they, they worked out. Yes. For big WrestleMania stuff. That was no, that was, that was warrior who, right. You know, you know, bam, bam, Bigelow and, and LT, but, uh, you know, um, God until, until shit, maybe with a celebrity, but you know, the boys, no, there was no practice ring. They, there wasn't any place to go. Wasn't any place to do that. Well, there's uh there's rock calling to remind you about how he used to have to do that too. Well, I got to put this one on hold. That sounds good. And we're back. Uh, and Tim, I'm back. Tim Riggle oh, wants to know, that. has there ever been a proposed name of either a talent or a pay-per-view where Bruce knew it was an awful choice? Bastion Booger. Yeah. That sounds like a bad one. That was mine. It was your own name and you couldn't believe they went with it. <laughs> I could not. Um, I hated Aldo Montoya. Yeah. Because to me, it sounded like Ricardo Montalban, Aldo Montoya. It's just, you know, Tony Montana. Eh. Just um, man tar. Half man, half tar. <laughs> oh, my. Listen to you. He had hoofs. He yeah. legitimately has hoofs for feet. Dustin Howell says, Bruce, what was it like to work for world-class in the UWF? And when did the WWE stuff with Mr. Bosch tried to work out with Vince in the eighties? Uh, so I guess we're talking about what was it like, you know, before the whole, uh, 
transfer of your career went north when you're trying to bounce around doing stuff with the Houston office, but also working with a little bit of Watts, working with a little bit of Von Eric. Yeah, I never worked with the Von Erics. We, we we worked with the Von Erics by bringing in talent from world class, but that was through Watts. Okay, into Houston. I never never worked for Fritz, never went up and, and did any of that world class stuff. Um, you know, worked Dallas for Watts with the UWF. You know, it's it's funny. Um you can look back on things and and as as you get older, how you, how your viewpoint skews a lot of times, but it was the greatest years of my life. And some of them were absolutely miserable, but they were still the greatest years of my life. I got to learn. I got, I got to do what I love to do every day. Right. And Bill Watts wasn't the greatest, um, greatest guy to work for, but yet he was the greatest guy to work for because he was a fountain of information, right? The, you know, he, he knew what he was doing. He also didn't know what he was doing in some things, you know, and you learn what to do and you learn what not to do. There you go. In so many different respects. Um, man, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for JR. JR is the one who put me on TV in the UWF doing the interviews. Okay. Okay. You know, Jim spoke up for me. And and was there and said, Goddamn Bill, why don't you why don't you use this kid more? And got me into that wow. on the UWF side of things. So, you know, we, we all poke fun and all that shit, but man, I I never forgotten that. Right. Never ever. Um, you know, Paul Bosch is is a kid. You know, imagine letting a 14-year-old kid announce. Uh, at the wrestling matches, you know, it was usually all, it was Boyd Pierce, man. It was, you know, usually the ring announcers were old guys. Right. Right. And he let a 14 year old kid in corduroys in a Hobie, uh, skate shirt, surf shirt, ring announce and ask people to stand for the plane of our natural anthem. And then introduce Tora Tanaka from Yakahoma, Japan. Those are things that you that are life experience that I just don't I don't know that there are that many opportunities out there in the real world anymore. I don't know that there were ever really that many opportunities in the real world. Even when I was a kid, I just I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And given opportunities, um because I was willing to do it and to continue to just roll the dice and man bet on myself. So that's, you know, but I learned all of that shit from the people that I had worked with from, from Paul to Pete to Jim Ross to, you know, Bill Watts to Buck Robley, man, <laughs> you know, uh, Bruiser Brody, Gary Hart, Ken Mantell. These were guys that would, would pick my brain as a kid that wasn't, you know, that was around the business his whole life, but they would, they would still pick my brains and, and, and made me feel valuable. Right. Um, 
but it was, you know, without those experiences, I, I wouldn't be where I am and who I am today. And that, you know, you, you can never, ever forget that and appreciate it and be grateful for it. Was, was some of it hard? Was some of it miserable? Was some of it bad memories and, and shit like that? Yeah. But the, the, the good outweighs the bad uh, 10 billion to one. So you have to you have to appreciate that. And working with those guys, you know, through working in Houston with Paul, man, I would sit on the phone. Vern Gagne would call. And Paul wouldn't be there. I would talk to Vern Gagne for an hour. Right. About the business and about, you know, he didn't know who the fuck I was. Right. But he would talk to me because I answered Paul's phone in the office. So I had to be somebody. Wow. And, you know, talk to Jim Crockett, even though I didn't learn a lot from Jim Crockett, but, um, you know, talk to all these guys that were the, the movers and the shakers in the business to have the opportunity to, to drive Bull Curry around, you know, get Bull checked into the uh, Capitol Hotel in downtown Houston, which was the drizzling shits in 1950. And he still wanted to stay there in 1980. Wow. Because that's where he stayed. And just, he would get in the car, ah, kid, what do you do for Paul? And because I was working for Paul Bosch, man, they respected Paul. So, you know, this kid's driving me around and I would just ask questions. So what you know? What, what was the, the greatest arena you ever worked? He was from Buffalo, and he would talk. He would talk about New York. He would talk about Buffalo, and the only thing I knew about Buffalo <laughs> when I came to WWE was Bull Curry right. talking to me about Buffalo and Toronto, and I'm like, you know, oh my god, and and uh, it, it just to get those guys perspective and to be able to go back and try and see the world and see life, how they saw it in the fifties and the sixties, you know, how many people do we know that are even alive today that, you know, were adults in the fifties, the forties and fifties, you know, that I was able to, to be around and learn and, and, you know, shit much older than that, you know, then, but it was to me that that time was absolutely invaluable. Wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And you, you saw, again, you saw mistakes. You, you, you were able to look at it through a different lens. And, and I would always laugh like you and I've talked before about, Guys selling the territory. Right. What are you selling? You're right. selling air. You're not selling shit. Guys who sell their territories for, you know, $25,000, take the money and go take a vacation. And in six months, the guy that bought the territory would be out of business and they would come back in, open up a new territory under a new name and take back their TV and all their talent. How does that happen? Right. <laughs> you know, what are you buying? You're buying air and just the, the, the law system, whenever Joe Blanchard suing everybody in the world and 
Joe did this antitrust lawsuit and he sued like literally everyone in the wrestling world that ever promoted wrestling. When the judge is going over the complaint, um, he's asking, who are these people? And the lawyers are saying, you know, so Mr. Blanchard, I, I see here you're suing Vince McMahon. Uh, would that be Vince McMahon Sr. or would that be Vincent Kennedy McMahon? I think Junior's calling. Nope. Oh, good. And um, he sat there and thought about it for a minute and said, well, the old man's dead, so I'll sue Junior. And it gets admitted, you know, it's like, and it goes through the guy admits under oath. He doesn't know who the hell he's suing or for what. And everybody got dismissed from the case. Right. Except Paul Bosch, Peter Burkhalls, Nick Bockwinkle and Bill Watts. Because in Joe's mind, Paul left the San Antonio booking office to go with Bill Watts. And that was antitrust in his book. No, it was to change booking offices. Couldn't have been cleaner. Bill even worked with Joe in the beginning. When, you know, Bill bought a third of Houston wrestling. Worked with Joe in the beginning. He said, eh, you know what? We don't need Joe anymore. Thank you very much. We're going to do our own thing. There was no contract. Right. There was nothing. And... Those things just always amazed me, you know, to the point of, of just trying to look at things from a common sense point of view. Um, I, I did chuckle. I remember when we went from Mid-South Sports to the Universal Wrestling Federation because WWF was the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. He was going to be Universal Wrestling Federation because the universe was bigger than the world. By God. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, we joked about it, but then when the words came out of his mouth, it's like, all right. <laughs> okay, cool. We'll do that. And, you know, and again, they, the biggest thing I learned, man, was take care of your own business. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Take care of your business. Um, you'll succeed as long as you keep your eye on your business. Don't worry about other people's shit. Maybe you need to keep an eye on your business this summer with manscaped summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil that beach pod? Well, manscaped is here to ensure that your body is ready for the wild with their game changing full body grooming and hygiene products. Don't be the guy at the beach with Austin powers, chest hair. And man, if you grew some winter man tits, at least you can do is make sure they're hairless. It's time to get ready for hot guy summer. Go to manscaped.com right now for 20% off and free shipping with the code STW. Man, we're going to hook you up with this performance package 4.0. It's got everything you need, including the lawnmower 4.0. It's a waterproof cordless body trimmer. And man, we've got everything else you need. How about the manscaped crop preserver ball deodorant? How about the crop reviver ball toner? How about the weed whacker 2.0 for your nose hairs? They even hook you up with a couple of free gifts, the shed travel bag and the boxers. And man, if you're rocking sandals this summer, you need the shears 2.0 nail kit, but the real star of the show 
dude, it's the lawnmower 4.0. It's got an led light on it. It's got a ceramic blade and it's all thanks to advanced skin safe technology. You see these blades were designed to cut hair on loose skin. It's going to reduce those accidents and man, you're going to be looking right. You see, the deal is you should always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code STW at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code STW at manscaped.com. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. Uh, Dustin Gentle wants to know, Hey, uh, Bruce, this question is a two-parter. I recently started rewatching original seasons of tough enough from when it was on MTV. What hand did you have in the creation or production of that show? And why do you think this show failed to gain interest with later reincarnations? Oh, goose egg. I had nothing to do with it. Uh, the original, uh, concept for tough enough. And it was the folks that did the MTV show. Um, not road rules, real world, real world. So we had real world producers and, and folks from MTV that were telling us how to do reality television and so on and so forth. And that's what it was. It was a reality television show. It wasn't a. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying history tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. You know, it wasn't tough enough to find the next the next WWE superstar. It was a reality show. Right. To and I think that, you know, we were looking at it as, oh, hey, this is a competition show to find somebody. They were looking at it as, no, 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 we don't give a shit about that. You know, give them a contract, great, put them on the TV show, that'll be good. Um, but we're more concerned with just um uh, the TV show and who's banging who and all that good shit. Right. So I, I didn't, I didn't have, um, you know, it's funny. I, I tried to stay away from, from tough enough and the diva search and, and all that stuff because there were, there was just outside forces that were doing it. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, the Rosen coaster says, here's a production question. Has there ever been an arena that you've ran in the past that has made production so challenging? You never ran that building again. Hmm. No. Cause we would usually fix whatever was wrong. Um, I swore we'd never run Orlando again, the stadium. Obviously that was wrong, but, uh, Wow. can't you know i can't think of any with wwe you know there, there were a lot that you had to bring in a lot of times your own power and backup to that but um i think everything you could pretty much get around sometimes but there have been well i can't think many off the top of my hand there have been buildings where and you know, we swear we'll never go back to but they always seem to come back around Saturn Dusk says with Bruce being brother love and Tom, the doctor of desire, what is it about the Pritchard genes that make you all lean, mean bedroom machines? Genetics, pal, just genetics. What can I say? 
Jeff Mitchell says if Mike Tyson makes his appearance on Saturday night's main event back in 1989, like he was scheduled to, I think he means 1990. Does that affect his appearance at WrestleMania 14? Both matches had the same ending Would the WrestleMania 14 ending have been different Would the effects of Tyson appearing been any different. Absolutely none. No, the, the main event with Randy and Hulk, that was simply, uh, you know, using Mike for that draw and we got Buster Douglas. And I, I would have to say that, you know, Buster was equally as good in the moment because he was a guy that beat Tyson just the week before. And, but no, you know, God to use Mike years later. I, I think that wouldn't have had any effect whatsoever. Joe bear says Bruce, who had a better entrance Hulkamania Hogan or Hollywood Hogan Hulkamania Hogan. Yeah. Eight days a week. Tad Brown says, not sure if you were one of stone cold, Steve Austin's career pillars was not tapping to Brett. How did Kurt angle convince him to tap out and lose the title? So I don't understand the question. We know that stone cold, Steve Austin did not tap out at WrestleMania 13. He bled out. He didn't quit. However, years later, when Austin would wrestle Kurt angle, he would tap to that. Was this just the evolution of the character or was it just a requirement of what was needed to get angle over? What was needed to get angle over, but I think Kurt was Kurt was the baby face and Steve was a heel in that. Right. Yeah. So I think as a heel, it's okay. To um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, NYG fans 10 says, what were the plans for Jeff Hardy after he was scheduled to win the money in the bank at WrestleMania 24? Was he scheduled to cash in at some point, perhaps even that night? I do not remember. I'm sorry. Have no clue. Nick Bannister says, what was the best and worst reaction of someone coming through the curtain after a match? So let's talk about the worst one first. Maybe uh, a Fantasio or whatever, Fantasma or whatever his name was. <laughs> that was a bad one. Who else was a bad one? Oh, oh God. I, I think when uh, Rock and Mick Foley came back after This Is Your Life. That was probably bad. Wanted to strangle them. What about Shane and Angle after that King of the Ring? Well, that was, yeah, that wasn't on them. That was kind of between me and Vince. I got you. Or Vince and me. Uh, what about the opposite? Hammer opposite end of that spectrum. Really, really great response. Come through the curtain to a hero's welcome. You know, so there's so many, um, I think that you look back, anything emotional, um, one that really just stands out is Rick's retirement with Rick and Sean at WrestleMania. It was so emotional and the, the match delivered the, the greatest, you know, match that you could possibly want to have. And, um, that was, you know, emotional. You, you sit there and you watch it and, and people were there with tears in their eyes and everything. You're just, you know, so happy and so sad all at the same time. So that without a doubt, probably stands out. You know, it, it's, it's funny. There are also, you know, moments Man, when Hulk dropped the title to Warrior, you know, there was a that was a moment. That was a yes. passing of the torch. Yes. Where it's like, wow, that that was history at the time. That was big. 
And, you know, there are a lot, a lot more of those. Thank God. Where you really are happy when someone comes back and, and, uh, proud. Nick Bannister wants to know what were the plans for Steve Austin? Had the curtain call never happened. Of course, as the legend goes, we've all heard that triple H was supposed to win that King of the ring in 1996. He's quote unquote punished as a result of the curtain call that creates an opportunity. Austin 316 is born. I still think eventually Steve probably would have got there, Bruce, but Austin 316 may not have happened because he might not have yeah. been wrestling against Jake. Right? Exactly. And you know, you, you wonder, um, would that have happened? Cause that was a, in the moment, you know, Hey, what did he say in his, in his promo, Michael Hayes, you know, talking about whatever Psalms he said and, you know, the Bible verse and that, you know, boom, Steve, Steve hit that. So if that hadn't have happened, right. You know, a lot, a lot would be different today, but I do think that Steve would have risen to the top anyway. And, you know, maybe it would have been just a simple stone cold, right. Which was, you know, a shirt I never got just saw one of them stone cold. And we never made that one. Here's one from William. If Bruce had gone to WCW in 1992, would he have pursued the executive producer role that Bischoff eventually took and gone head to head with Vince? That's a great question. Wow. I, I think if I had been given the opportunity, that might've been something that I would have definitely examined. Yeah. Um, that's bizarre I, to think I, about, isn't it? It is. But I think that, you know, their mindset was looking for someone out of the business. Right. And looking for someone with a different skill set. That's what was attractive about Bischoff was Bischoff wasn't in their mind and their viewpoint from the good old boy network. Right. And you were, I think they would have viewed me. I think they would have viewed me as definitely being a part of the old guard. Let's do one here from will will wants to know if Starcade 97 was a WWE event. How would Vince McMahon and his creative team book the sting and Hogan main event? So Bruce as a reminder, they've built it up for 18 months. It's all about sting and Hulk Hogan for the world title. It finally happens. Sting versus the NWO comes to a head at Starcade 97. And they just sort of lean into the Montreal screw job finish. Eventually sting leaves with the belt, but maybe it was a little cloudy unnecessarily, or at least I've argued over the years. Yeah. So you, you know, um, well, first of all, I think that had, you know, that happened under our watch, uh, stink would have had a tan, um, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, and, and I'm, I'm actually being serious about that. Okay. Uh, we've had guys that have been off that, you know, you look at and you see them putting on weight or you see them not looking as good. I was like, man, you're off. You can be working. You know, you, sh- you need to transform during this time. Right. So um, that's not all, all on Sting. It is, but it isn't. So they, they can all take a little bit of blame for that one. Um, but I think that, you know, building it up, I, I don't know if would have put Sting over, but, you know, probably. It definitely wouldn't have done that shitty finish. Let's that do, finish was awful. It yeah. was awful. Come on. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, 80s kid yelling at clouds wants to know what's the story of the raw band from late 95 and early 96. The raw band. Yeah. I guess there was a what's band that? where I, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Michael Ravel wants to know why is one of the top ropes thicker at the turnbuckle than the other three? Is it mainly for talent as a perch? No. Uh, I don't think they are. You may think that, but they're all in one corner where the ropes come together and are conjoined. They're, they're all thicker at one corner. Just not just the top rope you think, but all three. No, they're not. No, I don't think I know. Okay. Sorry. You got to get hot about it. We're just oh, having damn. a conversation. I, you know, I didn't say, I think I said, I, this is what it is. I didn't say, I think this is what it is. I said, this is what it is. Okay. Oh God. Make me check my phone. You're going to play words with friends? Yeah. Nick Bannister wants to know what's the worst thing that's been shouted down the headset to a commentator? Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Give us one you can share on the air. I know there's lots you can, I'm sure. Uh, by me or by anybody? Anybody you want to share? Well, this one has probably been, been you stupid fuck. Look at, watch your monitor. Um, that's one of my favorites. There you go. Watch your monitor. Watch your monitor. Don't fucking tell me what, you know, the problem is a lot of times and, and monsoon was bad about this. Jr. was horrible about this. Um, is if they knew what the finish was, right. They would lead you there, man. Cause they're so smart. They would let you know that wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm in the know. I know what's coming up. Who, who was guilty of that? Oh God. Jr. and fucking monsoon. Two of the absolute worst. Okay. Cause they, I mean, they would, they would lead you in. It was like, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. The commentator just told me that was going to happen. Basically. You know I mean? It was, they would tell you things that weren't, ne- that hadn't happened. One of the worst of all time was Michael Cole. When, uh, Midian was levitating, but he wasn't levitating. But Michael Cole had heard at one point that he was supposed to levitate. So since he couldn't see it, he called it. And I'm like, look at your fucking monitor. Call what you see. It's really, you know, and again, I say it's not that hard. I wouldn't fucking do play-by-play. I I couldn't. I don't have that skill set. But same time, don't call what you don't see. You you live by that rule, man, and you'll be okay. Here's one from Greg. Who is the best enhancement wrestler or quote unquote jobber of all time? Hmm. A lot of people like George South. You like Iron Mike Sharp? Who's your favorite? You maybe oh. Uh, Mr. Horowitz, maybe you liked him. No, I like them all. I just, I love the Hardys. Oh man. They were incredible. The Hardy, the Hardys were probably my favorite because they just made everybody look like a million bucks. That's a hard job, man. It is. It's hard to be able to work with everybody up and down the roster and make them all look great and not, you know, hurt yourself in the process. I think of all time, probably Matt and Jeff were my favorites. I like that. 
Joe says, uh, right to censor had the worst theme song. Who do you think had the second worst? Hmm. William Regal man's man. That was pretty bad. Oh, that called fuck you. That was great. I love you. Um, he's a man. He's a man's man. Hey, give me, give me your favorite, uh, TNA theme song. We used to sing it to each other all the time. We did. Trouble, 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 trouble. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, that was the worst. Trouble, trouble, trouble. That one. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Okay. That was EC3, right? Yes. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Man, that was bad. That was so fucking bad. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Yeah. Well, that was RTC, right? That's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. That one was horrible. Um, um, Tugboats and that was bad. Fog horns and shit were pretty bad. That was bad. Oh my god! Oh my god! He's a man. He's a man's man. You like that one? Yeah, that's good shit right there. Shane Sing Pinto along. wants to know as someone who is looking to follow a similar trajectory to you, do you have any advice on balancing both the performance and behind the scenes aspect of the business? How do you allocate your time while both performing and being a part of creative? very carefully. And I mean that very carefully. Um, my job was to get other people over both in both roles. Right. So I was, and I never wrote like, I never wrote, I did. That's not true. I was going to say, I never really wrote my own stuff. I wrote all my own stuff, but I never wrote myself into things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So I never put myself in things. Um, but it, it's tough. It, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's hard, but you have to check your ego at the door and that's with everything. Check your ego at the door and, um, listen, that's best advice I can give you. Just check your ego and listen. Good old Irish boy says if Bruce saw Dave Meltzer drowning and he had only minutes to spare to save his life, what kind of sandwich would he make while he watched him go under good old Irish boy? That's not nice. That's not I do nice. like, um, don't answer that cutting no, turkey and We're, Swiss well, on please don't uh, do nine grain on whole grain Ooh. bread because it's chewier no, and on. it's good and it's better for you. Pumpkin Cassidy says, why did Billy Gunn and road dog switch title hunts going into WrestleMania 15? So you may recall the new age outlaws were going to be a part then, and they're going after different singles titles. And it feels like midway through, they sort of just shift, uh, is this just plans change? Maybe they, they did rock, paper, scissors, and they switched. I have no idea. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. you know. I got to say something, man. I love, first of all, love our audience, the absolute best in the world. And I, I've devoted my life to this and I've, I've forgotten more than, you know, how people can, can remember some of the things that they remember. And, and people say, well, gosh, Bruce, you talk about obscure things. My, my frame of reference is how it affected me. And if it didn't have an effect on me, a lot of times my memory will be a little foggier. Right. I get that. Unless it was a big moment. But if it, I was a part of so many things, that's how I remember a lot of those things. 
I don't remember that at all. And I, I, I just, I love when people will say things like that. We have, we have kids on the team now that can go back and go, Oh yeah, that was on uh, September 9th, uh, 2006. I'm like, what? Oh yeah. It was Hershey, Pennsylvania. And like, how the fuck do you remember that? They can list the entire card and tell you everybody that won and with what finish. I can tell you what happened on July 20th, 1973, when Jack Briscoe won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship from Harley Race in the same Houston Coliseum in Houston, Texas. He won it in the third fall of a two-out-of-three-fall match with a Luthez Press. Bruce Lee also died on that date. Mm. Now, I was there for Jack winning the title. I'll never forget it. And Bruce Lee was an idol of mine. So I remember those two things because they happened on the same day. But I have no fucking idea what Road Dog and Brian James were doing going Road Dog and I don't know what Brian James and Road Dog were doing. Shit, they get confused on who's who. Well, Billy Gunn and Road Dog. I know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I have no idea. I'm sorry. But I, those are the questions I'd love to be able to answer. Right. Because I appreciate the fucking the in-depthness in-depthness of it great question here from craig outside of his tag champ run with mike why does it seem like barry windham was a mid carter in the wwf each time he returned did vince just feel like he owed blackjack to give barry a job when he needed i don't know that barry's heart was in it when he came to wwe i think that um Man, you know, I would watch Barry Windham and I would think that he was one of the most effortless workers I've ever seen in my life. Magnificent. And I would say, man, why wasn't that guy, you know, NWA champion? Loved working with Barry. And I, I thought, but there was no effort put into Barry's work. Right. Barry could be off for probably five years and come back in the ring and make it look like he never missed a second. It was so effortless with him. Everything he did, it was just, you know, he was the natural. Right. <laughs> there never was a natural. It was Barry Wyndham. And I just think that, you know, I, the only thing I can guess, and I don't know, is I, I think Barry just kind of didn't care. He was like, yeah, you know, I'll hang out here and have some fun, make some money. That's all I can think of. Because he was just, he was great without even trying. Uh, Horror Movie Barbecue says, how excited is Bruce for a new Brother Love figure coming out later this year? And how does he feel about Brother Love merch in general? <laughs> um... I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I think that's pretty damn cool. The um, I, the fact that people even remember or care, it still blows me away. And the, the only thing you can really say about it is that that is extremely cool, uh, very humbling. And people, ah, you got a fucking doll. No, it's an action figure. And... It's just, you know, to be, to even be in that conversation when, you know, Panini comes and says, hey, will you sign these cards? I'm like, you know, who wants my autograph? Um, that's, it's humbling to me. It really and truly is. And um, now, now my goal is to get a Funko Pop. 
Oh, wow. There you go. I like that. That's what I want. Now, now it's, you know, there, I wanted the action figure. I got the action figure. I got a second one. Okay. That's cool. A lot of people have about a hundred, you know, <laughs> same guys got a hundred different figures. My outfits didn't change that much. No, they didn't. Hey, you know, do you think we can do a brother love adult novelty? I think that would work. <sighs> one day. Uh, Keith wants to know what did Andre think of the undertaker? Uh, you know, undertaker came in, you know, when Andre was kind of on his way out. Um, but Andre liked taker, right. And he didn't like big guys, but I think that he saw that, you know, undertaker didn't carry himself in that way. Didn't carry himself as a threat to the giant. He was always very respectful to Andre and as you know, everything I know, Andre was, was really cool with Taker. Here's one from, uh, Mr. Rule. He wants to know what's Bruce's favorite Randy Savage match or moment. Wow. Um, matches that, uh, we had with dusty against, uh, dusty and Sapphire and Sherry and Savage. those are my personal favorites just cause I was in them. But go back, and I hate to even admit this, but Warrior and Randy at WrestleMania 7 was incredible from the emotion of it. And Randy, you know, that should be a case study in how to pass the torch and just speak so completely unselfish. I thought that... Uh, Randy man made, made the warrior in that night made him and add on top of that, the reunion with Elizabeth, very emotional for me. So, you know, those are my, my personal feelings. I thought it was, it was pretty damn cool. Jonesy chats wrestling 36 wants to know what was the plan for GTV please. Wow. GTV, I think that was supposed to be Gold Dust, just kind of uh, to extend his character and kind of just this eavesdropping guy that was collecting dirt on people. Um, that's the best of my recollection. Then I think Gold Dust left, and you're, you're stuck with a GTV with nobody to be behind it. Here's a great one. From uh, John Ryan, if Jim Cornette wasn't let go for slapping Santino, how much longer do you think he would have lasted? I don't think long. I don't think I don't think Jimmy was happy, and you know I think Jimmy kind of went into like, you know, fuck it, I'll just slap shit on They'll have to get rid of me. Um, but because Jimmy's way too smart for that, he really is, and. You know, you reach a point sometimes where you get fed up and you think, you know what? I'll just walk away. And Jimmy was able to walk away. So in, in my mind, and he, he would probably argue this point, I just think he was ready to go. Didn't care. Rick Holmes wants to know, what are your memories of the great Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty? We talked about him a little bit at the top. Do you have a fun story you can share about him? God, no, he was just awful. Absolutely awful. But, you know, he was the golden terror as well. 
So he was an enhancement talent that used to wear head to toe a gold outfit. So he had the long sleeves and he wore gold gloves and the mask came down around his neck and everything. And I did a uh, autograph signing somewhere in the Northeast. And the advertisement was, you know, uh, Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty will be appearing from, you know, 10 to noon and then from two to four, the golden terror you know, in the same booth. And went over and said hi to Pete and <laughs> he came back as the golden terror. Now as Pete, you know, he's Pete and he's sitting down and ah, is the golden terror. He stood with his arms crossed like this for the whole time. And if people came and take a picture and he would just stand with his arms crossed and, you know, look at him and then sign an autograph. Never sat down for the whole time as Golden Terror. And I don't think he spoke a word. That's commitment. Yeah, it is. Uh, Brass Fields Rods wants to know what's the worst hard way you ever saw? Hmm. Bloodiest moment in wrestling you saw? Bloodiest? Uh, wow, that, that's a different question. Um, you know, Eddie Guerrero, obviously, with Bradshaw in L.A. Well, was, he, he had some help getting there, right? Worse. worst. Um, yeah, but it was, uh, I think, a lot of Vince's were, <laughs> 99% of them were hard ways, which was hilarious. Because um, he just, God, he was a bleeder. He, you'd brush up against him and he'd start bleeding. But um, those are good. I think, you know, the one and only time Jerry Briscoe ever bled was getting hit with the championship belt by Vince outside the ring. And are, I thought that was funny as shit. Were you there when Joey Mercury got eat up by that ladder? Yeah. That's a bad one. That was a bad one. We didn't know if his eye was there Whew. and racked him up. And yeah, that was a. That was a scary night. Uh, Joe says Haku, Hercules, Blackman, they're all known badasses. Any wrestlers people would be shocked that were real life badasses. Hmm. Besides the 16 time karate black belt hall of famer. We know that one. Yeah. I mean, there are, um, when you ask the question, I can never think of anybody. Um, God damn <laughs> Joey styles. No, please. Um, damn it. I can't think. I mean, you know, you look at Jerry Briscoe and you would. Yeah. He's on a saving. Hey man, how tough can he be? And then he takes you down and beats the living shit out of you. Um, but there, you know, there are guys like Nunzio. Oh, there you go. That's a good one. Nunzio, unassuming guy. I wouldn't fuck with Nunzio on a bet. Spencer says, was there ever any talks about you being with dude love as brother love in the nineties, maybe even have a love stable with you being the manager. <laughs> of course, when we first see dude love, he's a baby face, but a heel dude love. I could have seen, I could have seen that. No, never discussed. I mean, Mick and I joked about it and I said, it was uh, when I first saw the whole dude love tape, I said, were you? Was that an homage to Brother Love? And it was like, no, Sean, that was, I was being you. Yeah. You know, so. Adam Taylor. No, we never discussed it. 
what is a brother love segment that you thought was going to be great, but it just shit the bed. Wow. I've had a few shit the bed, man. You know, Frenchie Martin, Dino Bravo, um, <laughs> uh, God, rhythm and blues, uh, the earthquake, you know, but it, it's like <laughs> an outlaw Ron Bass. Oh my God. Horrible. Um, what the hell was the question? Michael Ravel. Yeah. What segment with, with Bruce, with brother love? Yeah, I, man. Outlaw Ron Bass stands out. Cause we had to go out and redo it five times. That's the answer then. That's, that's the one. Michael Ravel wants to know when is your the clown going into the hall of fame? Uh, probably about 2046. Oh, I think so I, we, we earmarked it. Yeah. We're, we're getting close then. Yeah. Uh, Carlos wants to know how was that Puerto Rico crowd? No, but seriously, how good was Savio Vega for the company in the nineties? Savio was a utility guy, man. Savio could do it all. You know, Quang. What'd you call him? Quang? Quang. Quang. His fucking name. Um, Savio Vega, man, could do it all. So he was, he was that utility guy that could be anywhere on the card, heel, baby face, and always deliver. And everybody also liked working with Savio because he was easy to work with. He was solid. And, man, he just, he just could go. He was one of those guys. And a stand-up human being that you never wanted to mess with. Tom wants to know what would have happened if Marty threw Sean through the barbershop window. I think the world would have changed. Could that be like a lot? I would have stopped. That's like kind of the bizarro world. And it would have, yeah, that would have, would have stopped and the world would have ceased to continue spinning on its axis, come to a screeching halt and just gone in reverse. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah. Greg wants to know how important were the magazines before cable TV? I became a fan mostly from reading Montana. I had very few shows. So I followed wrestling that way. Was that important to more populated areas? Well, not to the local promotion. No, it really wasn't. I mean, if you were a fan, then that was how you got your news. That's how you found out about other territories and other wrestlers that weren't in your area, but for the promotion, not much. You know, the guys like Dusty, Moscaris, you know, Bruno, guys like that that could parlay being on a magazine cover to coming into a territory. Um, there were a few of those, but a lot of promoters didn't want to bring them in. But, you know, I think Dusty did well. Moscaris did well. Superstar Billy Graham did well because they – they were the darlings and Bill after loved them. Hilarious question here from Eli Williams. In many episodes, Bruce has mentioned what a great dancer Vince thought he was. What kind of music did Vince like to get his groove on with everything you name it? He'll dance to it. You know, little KC and the sunshine band. Oh, there you go. You know, that checks out. Oh yeah. Jeff Cox wants to know, since we just saw Savio Vega make his long awaited return, I wonder what Savio's plans were after King of the ring 95. It seems like he was getting a decent push, but not much came of it after that. 
He wasn't even on the SummerSlam 95 card. Can Bruce elaborate? No. Wasn't booked. It wasn't booked. Damn it. That's why. It was just wasn't booked. Only so many guys you put on a card. Can't put everybody on the card. They all can't be in the main event. They all can't win. Sometimes people don't don't get a it's just not room. Nate Duggan says DiBiase Duggan Mid South was that one of the greatest feuds of the 1980s? And where would you list the Buzz <laughs> Sawyer Duggan feud from Mid South? Um, first of all, DiBiase Duggan, man, that that's that was the the match that hosted the all time greatest stipulation ever. It was a uh, Texas Death in a cage with a coal miner's glove on a pole both men wearing tuxedos and the loser got painted yellow and had to leave town. So think about that. Texas death match yep. in a cage. Loser leave town. Both men dressed in tuxedos. Coal miner's glove on a pole. And the loser gets painted yellow. That's a lot. One match. One that's, match. That's a lot. So, you know, that was a culmination of Teddy and Duggan had done every friggin' gimmick match you could possibly imagine and ended up with that. Hell of a match. I mean, that look, they, they had unbelievable chemistry. God damn, they were good. Um, it was fun to watch, man. They they had great chemistry. Nothing more you can say. The the Duggan and uh, Buzz Sawyer, that was just, you know, brutality for brutality's sake because Buzz was stiff and Duggan wouldn't take shit off anybody. Botsa Brand says, I'd like to hear Bruce when he remembered first hearing Vince inform him about the smash hit Stand Back. What do you remember about Vince's song and dance routine Stand Back? Um... I mean, I, by the time I got there, the album had been produced and was on sale. Uh, we went on sale that the summer of, of 87. Yeah. But, you know, it was, it was hilarious. And when I, the more I got to know Vince, it was, I got it. <laughs> you know, okay. Well, I get this. Steve Taylor and I tried to do it. We did a parody of it at the Christmas party. And folks that didn't know us were like, oh, my God, they're making fun of the boss. Right. You know, Vince was sitting at the table laughing his ass off as we're doing all the Vince gyrations and singing the song. And I think it was probably about 50-50. Those, those that knew us and knew that, oh, yeah, they're probably stoned, um, <laughs> you know, laughed along with it. But those that didn't know Vince or didn't know us, you know, like, Oh my God, they're making fun of the boss. Can't do that. Not knowing, you know, it's like the time that uh, Joel Watts and I hung a Vince action figure in our office by the, the shade, you know, tied a noose around his neck and hung him on the shade and the blinds in the office. And Howard Finkel came in and was just so disgusted and appalled that someone would do that to Vince. And Joel and I took a picture with a little uh, Polaroid camera. 
Folks, this was before email. So how you communicated with other people in the office is you did what was called a memo. Oh, wow. A piece of paper. And you said to all, you know, employees and you put it in the mail when the guy came by on his cart three or four times a day and it was inner office mail and they would take it to the other person's office and either slide it under their door, put it in their uh, inbox. And we took a picture, a Polaroid picture of the action figure hanging in our office. And we put to all Titan employees wanted the bastards who did this. (laughs) And, And we only, uh, put the memo in Howard's office and he was just appalled. He was very upset at that. Yeah. Jason Davis wants to know what was the story that you pitched thinking it probably won't get the okay by Vince, but it did. And did it exceed your expectations? You know, I, I gotta tell you, uh, the cane one is one that I think that pitching it was, was more or less a riff session. And the more ridiculous I got, the more real it became. Right. So that, that one was, was kind of crazy. I mean, shit pitching, pitching undertaker was a, was a long shot because didn't know what we had. You know, I didn't know him, know what kind of guy he was or anything else, but I liked his work. Um, you know, in, in later years, I think pitching the, the hair match with Vince, I always wanted to do it. I just knew that he hated those. And it was the appeal because I think people thought, well, you'll never cut Vince's hair. And knowing that I thought I could talk him into it was intriguing. And the fact that he was willing to do it with Hulk, that when Trump came up, it was kind of a no brainer. So you know, those are, but, but those, I think that other people thought, and, and, and actually I thought in the beginning that he wouldn't go for it at all. Right. But he did. And I also like to, you know, the, the, the thought sometimes of testing the waters and if they bite a little bit, okay, you know, well, let's, let's reel this one in. So that's the fun of it. That's, that's, that's how we have fun. Sterling wants to know if Hogan plus Savage equals mega powers and Hogan plus beefcake equals mega mega maniacs and Savage plus warrior equals ultimate maniacs. Then what does warrior plus beefcake equal the shits? I was going to say injured reserve or wellness violation. The shits all three or just the drizzles. Oh, that's a good team name. By the way, the yeah. Drizzles t-shirt available now over at something wrestleshirts.com. Uh, Jamie Waldrop says going back to the Bosch days, GWF WWE, has there ever been a guy who you saw as a can't miss prospect who you wanted to push to the moon, but he never even made a slight dent in the business. Uh, Don diamond was one Don was a guy had, you know, had a good look, good body, good work. Thought, man, this guy can be a star. It's never panned out. Uh, the Twin Devils, Los Gemelos Diablos, um, didn't really hit. 
Well, they had a great gimmick, man. Yeah, and you look at those guys, and these guys were tiny. Um, and they were twins. And Paul put them against Brody. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? But with the twin gimmick and switching in and out, we're able to get Brody down. And then that's and actually the reason I bring this up was because Don Diamond was the guy that came running down with a bunch of powder and was going to throw powder on one of the twins so Brody could tell them apart. And kind of got all over the place and you couldn't see shit. So it was kind of a failed attempt. But, you know, Don Diamond was, was one that really sticks out. You know, Gino was somebody that I thought could have made it in WWE big time. Um, yeah, for sure. Just, you know, unfortunately it never happened. Uh, son wants to know in 1990, DiBiase calls the Texas tornado, the IC title in his match with Mr. Perfect. Were there ever any plans for a DiBiase tornado feud going into 91? I think there was, that would have been good. Yeah, I think there was. Here's one from Sam. Did Bruce have any interaction with the lightning kid or the Patriot during his time with the GWF? I know the promotion went downhill fast, but I love the first few months of it. And did he work with Brandon Baxter? So we'll talk about Brandon Baxter first and then Patriot and lightning kid and global Brandon Baxter was the obnoxious punk kid that hung around there that Joe and Bonnie would fawn all over okay. and put him on TV. He became uh, a radio guy, right? He became a radio guy out in uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas or something like that. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Uh, he is a nice guy. He's a real nice guy. Uh, and you know, he's one of those guys that, that proved your dreams will come true. If you work hard, don't give up. But at the time, he was a punk kid, obnoxious as shit, and I wouldn't give him—I wouldn't give him the time of day. I was like, "What the fuck are you doing here, Joe? God damn!" Um, I said that about a lot of things there. The but going back to uh, Patriot and Lightning Kid, I remember and throw uh, Scotty Flamingo in there too. My first night in. They were there. I think that kid maybe worked two, maybe we worked two uh, tapings together. And I've got a picture. Where's the picture? I got a picture up there. It's me, Scotty Flamingo, Barry Horowitz, and the Dark Patriot with the uh, North American Championship. But yeah, kid didn't stay around long. Uh, I was there for a couple of the Jerry Lynn matches. Maybe it was more than a couple uh, tapings. Well, maybe not because they shot so many matches. Um, but not long. And then we did the deal with Patriot, with uh, Doug Gilbert, and screwing Patriot out of the title, and he never came back. Eric wants to know, when Hogan left in 93, a lot of other wrestlers used the leg drop in the middle of the match. Most times they wouldn't even bother with a cover. And if they covered, it would almost never be a near fall. Was this a rib? Well, they didn't have the same devastation that Hulk had. I love you. See the size of Hulk's leg and Hulk had mastered the leg drop to a science that if you had that thing drop across you, you weren't getting up, Pally. Right. Uh, nickel wants to know, was Matt born always a miserable prick or did he just take kids as a 12 year old kid? I went to see a Midwest territorial wrestling show outside of Detroit in 94. He was there as doink. The dude was just rude and mean. 
Even some of the other wrestlers on the card, like Road Warrior Hawk and Al Snow, apologized for his behavior and offered free photos and autographs. You knew Matt. Was he just a miserable prick? Yes. Okay. He was Doink the Clown. Yeah. That's who he was. That is an example of taking someone's true personality and manifesting it into a character. Just turn the volume up. That's who Matt was. Just put makeup on. Excellent question here from Brian. Was a mini for the undertaker ever discussed? Of course, he's referencing in 97. <laughs> we had a mini mankind. We had a mini Vader dude, a mini taker. That could have been fun. We had a mini taker. Really? Yeah, we did. Why didn't we, we see had a it? Mini taker. I think we did. I don't remember seeing him. We did only once. Okay. But we had him. Yep. We had, um, was he also dead? We had mini Hulk. We had mini savage. We had a mini taker, mini Vader. So what you mini had mini Hulk and savage, even when they weren't there, like when they were working for the competition, no, they were there. Oh wait, I there. did see. Okay. I do remember a mini taker. I'm looking at it right yeah. now on SmackDown. See, okay, but uh, I was thinking of '97. Oh, you, during that time, no, I'm I'm thinking early on when we had uh, Tiger, the Dink. We had him and and one other. I can't remember who else, but we would put them in in masks, you know, like a Hulk mask, like a red, like a mask. Halloween mask, kind of. Yeah, but much better than that. Gotcha. And then they would go out and do the, you know. Do the Hulk pose and shit. I can't even get this arm up anymore. There. Wait, hang on. Wait. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. Okay. Um, this arm doesn't go up much. Um, you getting that one fixed next? Yeah. That eventually. eventually. Yeah. I'm trying to rehab it now. Yeah. It's not going so well, but I'm trying to. I'm in my mindset. I just don't have time to. I don't have time to. You don't get surgery. Uh, Michael here says if Turner had succeeded in putting Vince out of business, what would Vince have done? Would he have gone to work for billionaire Ted? Would he have tried again? Or would he have listened to Shane and bought the, we UFC? would have got a tent and toured the country at the revival show That's and made so. real money. I remember hearing that story. Uh, Brent Vivian says hypothetical question. If the Montreal screw job never happened and Brett would have stayed. How would Mike Tyson fit into WrestleMania? Rumor has it, Brett would have kept the belt and dropped to Austin. Would he have played a role in their match or something with DX instead? Uh, no, it probably would have been in the same role. That could have been fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mark Foster says, which belt, sorry, title does Bruce prefer championship, the winged Eagle or WCW's big gold. Um, so I'm not a big fan of the big gold. Yeah. I'm also not a big fan of the winged eagle. Right. Um, you like the old, like Luthez NWA title, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, and, and I, I like, I like the dome gold, the yeah. dome. Yeah. The 10 pounds. Yeah. Bit. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm bigger, more partial to the older championships. When Flair came into the WWE with the big goal before he gave it back, was there any interest in trying to cut a deal with WCW to let Flair use the belt in the WWF since WCW had created a new title? Hmm. So I wasn't there. Right. I don't know. Tony says, Bruce, if there was a spot in a match where a performer had to get color and the performer was against it, 
Would the performer be reprimanded? Was there ever a wrestler who refused no. to bleed, even if it was scripted? Sure. I'm sure there is. I don't know of any, but I'm sure last, that's happened. Last one. And then we'll put a button on this one. Over the years, Bruce has been asked the question. He always avoids answering despite being asked in a variety of different ways. What we all want to know is Bruce, what's your favorite version of how big's Batista's dick? Still thinking about it. Next week, over the edge, 1998, 25 years ago, dude, love and Steve Austin rocked the house in Milwaukee. Vince McMahon was the referee. Pat Patterson was a special guest ring announcer. Gerald Briscoe was a special enforcer and all the surprises you can imagine. Also DX and the nation begin their dance with each other. Owen's going to turn heel. Vader gets another shot at Kane to prove he isn't a big piece of shit. Draws debuts. Mark Marrow takes on Sable with her career on the line. We see the debuts of Kai and Ty and Eric Bischoff challenges Vince McMahon. We're talking about all of that next week here on the program. In the meantime, get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Even catch a sit down interview with the legendary David Sahadi. He did so many of those fabulous videos we all grew up on. And you're hearing a very rare interview right now at adfreeshows.com. And by the way, Get a free trial on me. Your first week is free. And then it just runs you about nine bucks a month over at adfreeshows.com. Check it out. That's adfreeshows.com. By the way, if you're a business targets men that are 25 to 54 years old, no better place to advertise than right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. You can find out how easy and affordable it is at advertisewithbruce.com. Love to have you leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it. Follow our show on social media. It's at Pritchard show on Twitter and Instagram, something to wrestle over on Facebook. The easiest and best way to support the show is to hit the like and subscribe button. Turn your notifications on over at something to wrestle.com. That's our official YouTube channel. It's one thing to hear the show. It's another to see it. That's something to wrestle.com. And we mentioned, we've got, uh, some interesting new swag, some interesting new shirts available now at something to wrestle shirts.com. Go look at it. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Especially the brand new drizzles t-shirt available now at something to wrestle shirts.com. Bruce, I never know what to expect when we do one of these, you know, ask me shit and stuff. No, ask me the questions, questions and shit. shit. My apologies. Ask me stuff and shit. We got you all the stuff and shit. You could shake a stick at today. Uh, this was fun, man. Thanks for making the time. Absolutely. That's what I do, man. I always make time. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> All right. Hey, Silva almost blew it today. He did. I'll be honest. I was he nervous. Blew it. But we made it Only happen. Had to stop one time. Hey, and we're proud of you. Proud of you. Bravo Yay, for that. Yay, Bruce. Yay. Hey guys, thank you so much for all you do for us. Appreciate your patience. I know last week's show was very late, but man, two shows That's in a week. Fault. Let's call it. Will you stop? We'll see you next week, right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Rock the fuck on. Fight Plus is the ultimate digital platform for live sports and entertainment, and they're now offering a free seven day trial at tryfight.com. 
Fight Plus is packed with a premium live event schedule, over a thousand hours of live action every year, and a library of more than 4,000 hours on demand, plus exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. Fight is a great partner of ours. They support us, so let's support them. Give that free seven-day trial a shot, and you'll be a member for life. That's tryfight.com. T-R-Y-F-I-T-E dot com. Hey guys, need to call a quick time out here. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my listeners over at OU didn't know for a while now about all the cool things happening over at adsfreeshows.com. An all new mailbag series debuts later this month on ad free shows as we pick the brain of a man who has spent 40 plus years in the wrestling business. Longtime WCW and WWE referee Nick Patrick answers your questions. And Kurt Angle. Are you getting beer on it? Or me on it ended up being my own blood. Austin had, had had the title. It had the jagged edges on it, right? And they had a deal where where uh, uh, Angle pulled me in, and I took the belt shot. A little bonus content comes your way, courtesy of the Kurt Angle Show. A dream match became a reality back in 2016 as Kurt Angle squared off against Cody Rhodes on the Independent. For the first time, Kurt watches back his match against the American Nightmare. This kid's really talented. He's selling the ankle here on the leapfrog, went down on it awkwardly. He's outside the ring talking to the referee. This is, like you said, all part of the match plan. Hey, start to show that weakness in the ankle. Yeah, yeah, this was uh, his idea to you know, make it look like he hurt his ankle so that when he did lose, <laughs> I love he had something to gripe about. Ad-free show members have chatted one-on-one with AEW stars like Eddie Kingston, Dax Harwood, Ricky Starks, and many more, including a recent live interactive session with Renee Paquette. He still continues to do that. He's on commentary in AEW. Um, So I think it was cool for him to kind of put on that analyst hat and get to kind of test out those waters a little bit. But end of the day, it was a thing that I think made him feel like, you know what? Wrestling can be okay again. I can have fun in the wrestling space again and and now we have CM Punk Wrestling so you're welcome that's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you with four levels to choose from see for yourself why ads free shows is the best value in wrestling today sign up now at adsfreeshows.com when you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. You are so obsessed with betting. I don't need to bet. <laughs> you're adamant that you're going to win, and I'm what adamant I that to you're not like, going to win. Why does, why does money have to be you're, exchanged? You're a realist. Like, he believes it, you believe it. Why is that? Well, that's no fun in that. It's a conversation that you can have, and then Monday, it's just like, I told you so. I mean, that's Definitely. verbal currency. There's nothing fun there. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.